In the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. Uh, we're going to start chapter 12 today. Uh, but just to, to review and capture where we are, um, we finished the first six trumpets, and uh, in the last chapter, we saw uh, a vision uh, of God on the on the temple and standing up and uh, appearing. This was in uh, chapter 10, uh, over the sea, and one foot on the sea, one foot on the on the land. This was chapter 10. In chapter uh, 11, we saw uh, Saint John measuring. God's people, and we said that he counts who's in and who's not in, because that was at the end. There's no more opportunity for repentance and turning back. And we saw the two witnesses that God will send, the two prophets, and they said, most of the father uh, think that these are going to be Elijah and Enoch, because they were the two prophets from the Old Testament who did not die. In today's chapter, we'll cover... Uh, it's a different vision. It talks about uh, the relationship between the church and the devil. How does the devil constantly trying to fight the church and how it's, you know, it's constantly trying to destroy it. And we're going to see God's intervention there and the power he gives to the church. And today we're going to see the first what's called the the dragon, the major, you know, the great serpent or the dragon. And after that next chapter, we're going to start seeing another uh, creature, which is the Antichrist, and we're going to talk about 666 on the chapter. And uh, things start getting more interesting and more close to the verse we're just talking about right now in this uh, in the song and what's going to happen to the sinners and the great punishment is going to happen to sinners. So why don't we just read chapter 12 all at once and then, you know, go back and go through it a little bit by little bit and see what uh, the meaning of each portion. Anybody wants to read? You're the volunteer. Now a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a guard land with twelve stars. Then being with child, she cried out in labor and in pain to give birth. And another sign appeared in heaven, behold, a great fiery red dragon, having seven heads and ten horns, and seven, seven crowns on his heads. No, seven diamonds. Items. Items. Carol. Okay. Seven items on his head. His tail drew a third of the stars of heaven and threw them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was ready to give birth to to devour her child as soon as it was born. She bore a male child who was a rule all nation, all nations with a rod of iron. And her child was caught up to God and and his throne. Then the woman fled into the wilderness, where she was pla- where, where she has a place prepared by God, that they should f- that they should feed her, that they should feed her there 1,260 days. And war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought with the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought, but they did not prevail. Nor was a place found for them in heaven any longer. So the great, the great dragon was cast out, that serpent of old called the devil and Satan, who, deceived, who deceives the whole world. He was, cast, he was cast to the earth, and the angels were cast out with him. Then I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brethren who accused them before our God day and night has been cast down. And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of the testimony, and they did not love their lives to the death. Therefore rejoice, O heaven, and you who dwell in them. Woe to the inhabitants of the earth and the sea, 
For the devil has come down to you, having great wrath, because he knows that he has short time. Now when the dragon saw that he had been cast to the earth, he persecuted the woman who gave birth to the male child. But the woman who gave two wings of a great angel, of a great, of a great eagle, that the might fly into the wilderness to her place, where she is nourished for a time and times and a half, half a time from the presence of the serpent. So the serpent spoot water out of his mouth like a flood after the woman, that he might cause her to be carried away by the flood. But the earth helped the woman, and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed up the flood, which the dragon had spoot out of his mouth. And the dragon was enraged with the woman, and he went to make war with the rest of the offspring, who keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. Glory be to God. So, interesting scene. We haven't seen anything like it before in Revelation. Um, we have a woman that's giving a, a birth to a baby, and there's a dragon who's trying to eat that baby and devour it. So this is, we said earlier, this is the constant war between the, the devil and the church. So the first verse, and there appeared a great sign in heavens, a woman clothed, clothed with the sun and the moon was under her feet and a crown of 12 stars on her head. Now, if we said that this woman, and we'll talk about that, is a church, why does it say a sign in heaven? Why it's not a sign on earth? Why he talks about the church as being a sign in heaven? Because we pray and say, Our Father who art in heaven. We are supposed to be citizens of heaven. We're no longer citizens of the earth. And we're going to see later on that when the dragon uh, uh, is going to cast down to the earth, we're going to see that they're going to say woe to the people who live on the earth and the sea and so on. So we have a choice. We're either citizens of heaven and part of the church or we're citizens of the earth and the sea and we can enjoy the, the pleasures of the earth and the sea and then also carry the consequences of not being part of the church and being part of the world and the earth here. So that's why the first sign appears to be in heaven because it said the church is heavenly and uh, we belong to God who is in heaven. Uh, also Saint uh, Paul tells us, for we are, we, for our citizenship is in heaven, that's Philippians 3.20, and Ephesians uh, 2.6, and he has raised up together and made us sit together in the heavenlies in Christ Jesus. Of course he was talking also about what's going to happen after the, the second coming and so on. Right. So who is the woman? And why is it the church? There's a lot of discussions about this particular uh, vision. Why is this woman the church? And if this woman the church, how can it give birth to the child, which is the Lord Jesus Christ? Well, the fathers look at the church not only as the church of the New Testament. They look at the church as from the beginning, from Adam until the last person who's going to join the church before the second coming. We're all one church because we're all one body that belongs to Jesus Christ. There's no, you know, sometimes we refer to the you know, church of the Old Testament and the church of the New Testament, but in reality, it's all one church. Uh, some people like to refer to this person, you know, to this woman as St. Mary. And if we only look at it as St. Mary... This might be valid in the first couple of verses when it's, you know, giving birth to the child and so on, but it does not carry over to the rest of the chapter when it talks about giving the woman two wings of a great eagle and so on. Uh, the most appropriate description of this woman is the church. And as I said, the church continues from beginning to... <coughs> we see the church is closed with the sun... Again, what does St. Paul remind us of our relationship to Christ? Uh, as many were baptized to Christ, you put on Christ. Yeah, that's in Galatians 3.27. So we put on Christ. 
So supposedly, if I put on Christ, people who see me from the outside see the Lord. They don't see me anymore. Right? So that's why we close with the sun. From the outside, people see God's glory on the church and don't see the people in the church itself. Uh, in the Song of Songs, uh, and Solomon says, Who is she who looks forth like the morning, fair as the moon, clear as the sun, awesome as armies with banners? So we need to think, how does the Lord see us? Uh, and He sees us as powerful, He sees us as close with the sun. That's how God created us. How do we see ourselves? We always say we're weak, the devil is stronger, we're overcome by sin and so on. But when God sees us, He sees us as strong because we have His strength. He gave us His strength. And we, as we said earlier in the first seal, that He is the He conquered and He's out to conquer through us. Now, the moon was under her feet. Okay. In this case, the moon represents the, the saints and the martyrs in particular who gave their lives to, to God for the sake of God and died uh, for God's sake. And moon because they only reflect the light of the sun. As you know, the, the moon does not emit light by itself. It only reflects the light of the sun. So we also don't have any glory of our own. We only reflect God's glory on us. And a crown of 12 stars on her head, that can represent two things. It can represent the 12 disciples, or it can represent, you know, number 12, as we said earlier, represents God's people. So this, you know, the church is crowned with her people, the righteous people, you know, all the saints that surround us in the church. These can be the stars that surround um, uh, the crown, uh, the church. And if we go to 1 Corinthians 15.41 One glory of the sun, another glory of the moon, and another glory of the stars, for one star differs from another in glory. Right. So we can use that verse to explain the 12 stars that crown St. Mary. Again, what we need to do is we need to use the Bible to you know, explain the Bible and spread the Bible. And having a baby in, in a womb, she cries being in travail, having been distressed to bear. Okay. Now, as we all know, the creation from the beginning were looking for the salvation. Read the Psalms all the time and you find David and and Solomon and uh, Asaph and all these people who wrote the Psalms are crying for God to come and deliver us, come and give us salvation. And all the prophets from the Old Testament are also crying for the salvation. Uh, in Isaiah 64, 1, Oh, that you would tear the heavens and come down, that mountains would quake before you. So from the Old Testament, they're crying for God to come down and come and deliver us. Yeah. So that's the vision of the church from the Old Testament. Uh, now we jump to another vision or another sign in heaven. Uh, and behold the great red dragon having seen, having seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns on his heads. Uh, this is, of course, as everybody can guess, this is the devil. Now, why again, why is in heaven? As we know, the story of the devil starts as him being uh, Lucifer, being uh, one of the uh, seraphims in heaven, uh, serve, you know, in front of God constantly, but he desired to raise his throne above God. And that's where, where he fell and became... You know the devil. So the story of the you know, devil started from heaven as well. Now we can look at this again in a spiritual way, 
and say that you know he's red because of the the blood he sheds, uh, and says you know um, a great red dragon, a great dragon. This you know also great dragon stands for the strength and the fear uh, that is present in people and his ability to devour and destroy the people he uh, captures. Having seven heads, complete wisdom, the head represents the wisdom, so that's complete wisdom in evil, something that's not nice. Uh, and ten horns, again, the horn is the the sign of strength. Uh, if you remember, we said earlier in the Old Testament that, you know, in the wilderness, if you have a, an animal with a strong horn, you'll be able to beat the animal who does not have a strong horn. So the horn represents the strength. So here, ten horns complete strength and seven crowns on his heads uh, these can be the seven kings because a crown is can represent a king later on or basically that he rules he totally rules over the people that he captures and he conquers now some people looked at this again I'm going to give you some interpretations that may not be 100% agreeable some people looked at this and said oh look at the city of Rome it's built on seven hills. Right? So that's uh, these are the seven heads, and the ten horns are the ten provinces that uh, constructed the Roman Empire, and the seven king, the seven you know crowns are the seven kings who are going to give the authority to the uh, Antichrist. And people said that this represents the pagan Rome that persecuted uh, the Jews, persecuted, you know, cr- you know, killed Christ, crucified Christ, and continues to continue to persecute the Christians for hundreds of years later on. But that resemblance is a little bit short because then that dragon is going to continue until the end. And it was from the beginning. And this word was Michael and his angels. So you find that this particular analogy is not very accurate and it's not comprehensive in the the meaning of the whole chapter. Some people take that a little bit further and say, oh, uh, if some of the old uh, people said uh, the interpretation that this dragon is, uh, represents Rome, so it must represent the Pope and the Catholic Church. But of course we do not believe in that. Okay. I just, you know, want to let you know just for amusement and for, you know, Again, to, we're going to look at the, the, the whole sequence of events in, in this chapter, and you're going to see that it's not cannot be the Roman Empire or the Catholic Church or any of these things. Who? For a thousand years, so I haven't heard about it since that time. So we'll I'll look for it. But you know, again, we don't believe in that. And let, let's look at what did what did the devil do, and you know, how did he do all these things? And then we're going to read between this chapter, uh, God willing, and the next chapter, which talks about the Antichrist and so on. And they're not the same. This dragon is different than the other, you know, dragon that's going to other serpent that's going to come, the other beast that's going to come later on in chapter 13. And again, our preference is not to say that this is represents a particular individual because the, the war between the devil and the church has been since day one, since Adam was created, 
uh, and Eve, and the devil has been after them, trying to destroy them. At the same time, until all eternity, uh, the de- or not eternity, until the end of the world, the devil is going to continue to chase the, you know, the believers and continue to persecute them more and more until the end. So, let's take things as you know the fathers have said them. The majority of the fathers uh, will keep the Benedictine, you know, prophecies to some other time. Anyway, so that's the devil. Uh, and his tail, verse 4, and his tail drew the third part of the stars of heaven and cast them onto the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman being about to bear, so that when she bears, he might devour her child. So, the third part of the stars of heaven. It can mean two things. It can mean actually the angels of heaven, when the Lucifer fell from his place in, in heaven, he took, he took down with him, or he convinced uh, a third of the angels to follow him, and they all fell with him. Or it can be that he destroy, you know, he destroys a lot of the believers. And we saw the number third before in the previous woes, and in the, a lot of the uh, plagues that the Lord is going to be allowing on earth, you see that a third is just a representative number that a large number of people are going to you know, be affected, but it's not everyone. So it's a limited, limited large number going to be affected. So whether it's really a third of the angels or whether really a third of the believers, we don't know. Okay. And the dragon stood before the woman being about to bear, so that when she bears, he might devour her child. As we all know, that up until Christ's death, anybody who would die, the devil will grab their soul because the devil have paid us with the pleasures that he gives us, facilitating sin for us and so on. So we owe him. So once we die, what can we pay him with? We have nothing to pay, you know, repay the devil of all these you know, gifts he gave us. The only thing we can pay it with is our soul and he would grab our soul. And he tried to do the same thing with Christ, but only because Christ was perfect did not commit any sin, and because he is God, he was able, his, the life in him was able to conquer the devil and basically destroy death. No, the new, now the New Testament is different. Now the New Testament, and that's why we, you know, we say in, in, in the Holy Pascha, or actually on Good Friday, is that the Lord, after the cross, descended into Hades to free the souls of all. The, the righteous people whom the devil have conquered anyway like for example Adam, David you know all these you know Abraham all these great men of the Old Testament though they were righteous and God blessed them and you know gave everything they were still under the you know the penalty of sin because their price was not paid yet to freedom and once Christ paid the price for us you know on the cross he was able to go down and freedom. The same, the devil came to grab him. Well, God, Christ is more, stronger than the devil, so he took down the devil, tied him, and that's what we're going to see, you know, later on in the, the chain of releasing the devil and so on. He tied the devil when he was, you know, on the cross and released the spirits of the, the, of the righteous. And by the way, up until the last minute, the devil was confused about Christ. Is he God? Or is he man? He was trying to provoke him several ways, in all sorts, ways and forms, to see if he's really God or not. But Christ, you know, to complete the mission that he came for and the crucifixion, uh, he, you know, managed to keep the devil confused until the last minute because the devil does not understand humility. The devil does not understand that how come a God becomes a man. And how come when a God becomes a man, he does not become the richest man or the strongest man or the most powerful man. You know, a poor carpenter who doesn't have a place to sleep, who hungers, who thirsts, who, you know, gets tortured and who suffers on the cross, can be that a God goes through this because the devil, again, his ego prevents him from understanding God's love and God's mercy and God's humility as well. Okay. And she bore a son 
a male who is going to rule the all nations with a rod of iron. That reminds us with you know Psalm two, right? And her child was caught up to God and to His throne. Right? So when did that happen? The ascension, right? When Christ died, resurrected, and ascended into heaven, and you know to you know set at the right hand of His Father, right? Uh, and this is basically the summary of the story. So as you can see, the story is not related to the Roman Empire. The, sta- the story is related to the whole history of the church and the salvation, and as we're going to see later on, all the way to the end. This is one chapter that summarizes the whole history, basically. Verse 6, And the woman fled into the wilderness where she had a place prepared by God, so that they may, might nourish her there a thousand two hundred and sixty days. Well, what is a thousand two hundred and sixty days? If we divide that, uh, let me just make a quick guess. Three and a half years, right? Okay, we're going to find that the period of three and a half years keep repeating a lot from now on. And it's going to be described in in multiple ways. Uh, 1,260, 42 months, uh, a time, two times and a half. And the way it's described that way, because again, the fathers say that this might represent that, you know, people think it's a period, and then it's going to say, no, it's, you know, it's going to be a long period, it's going to keep increasing, so it goes from one period to double the period, so they relax, and think it's going to grow, but then all of a sudden, it ends to a very, you know, small period. So, when people, you know, for example, the devil and so on, and we saw this actually in the churches, that, you know, when God was talking about, you know, give her time, two times and a half time, uh, what Isabel uh, in the churches so they ha- think when people are living in sin they think they have forever they're ne- never going to end so they start committing sin and then they think it's going to last forever it's going to be a long period and then all of a sudden it ends quickly and smoothly that's the only interpretation I was able to find for one two and a half right and the woman fled into the wilderness where she had a place prepared by God so that they may, might nourish her there a thousand and two hundred sixty days. Two, again, two interpretations. We can take that literally, that at the end days, when the Antichrist come, there's going to be a place for the church to run away to, maybe guided by the two prophets or whatever, but a place for the, you know, for the church to hide in the wilderness, in the desert. Where, how, we don't know. We're going to be guided at that time. Or we can look at it is that the ch- if we are living in the church, again, we are not living in the world. We're not trying, you know, to live in the world and the pleasures of the world. So as if we're living in the wilderness of this world. Uh, when you're fasting in this period and everybody's eating, you know, turkey and, you know, steaks and all these nice juicy stuff and you're eating full on tamaya <laughs> and potato chips, full tamaya and potato chips... <laughs> It's like, ah, that's luxury. <laughs> so, ah, it's luxury. Uh, but, you know, you are as if you're living, if these are living, you know, in a luxurious place and you're living in the wilderness and the desert. You know, same thing, you know, abstaining from sin, you know, humility, turning the other cheek and all these things as if we are living in the wilderness. And we can look at the three and a half years as a long, you know, as a period of the service of the church or a period of uh, tribulations for the, service, the church like the Lord himself served for three and a half years and I see the two prophets be here on earth for three and a half years and so on so it's a limited period half the fullness of time so it's a period where we are going to be serving or we're going to be struggling for right? so these are the two interpretations of this particular verse uh, and there was in heaven Michael and his angels warring against the dragon. And the dragon and his angels warred, but did not prevail, nor was place found for them in heaven anymore. 
again, this can be the the time when Lucifer sinned, and we all know the meaning of uh, Michael. Let's look at the meaning of the name uh, Michael, and the reason I love this E sword is ability to do things like that. Strong. Right. Michael derived out of the Hebrew word, uh, word Mikael, and if we look at this word, okay, and we see that Mikael is di- divided into prefixes and so on. And the meaning is, who is like God? And the fathers of the church say uh, that Archangel Michael received this name, is that when the devil is saying, who is like Lucifer? And we're going to see later on in chapter 13, again, the, the beast saying, who is like the beast? The devil has a uh, ego problem, and he always wants to you know, brag about himself. Who is like the beast? Who is like the devil? Who is like me? Hopefully we're not doing the same thing, but you know, that's what the devil likes to do. So apparently in heaven he was doing that, and he was saying, who's like the devil, who's oh, not like the devil, who's like Lucifer, who's like me? And then our, this you know, angel came and he said, who is like God? And that's why he was given the name Nephi, which is, you know, stands who is like God. And Michael and his angels warring against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels warred. So the war is continuous. And if you go back to Daniel chapter 10, I think, uh, you're going to find the story of Archangel Gabriel, chapter 10 and 11, coming in and talking to you know Daniel, giving him the prophecy, and told him, Michael, your leader came in to aid me against the king of Persia. I think we talked about that last time, time before. But this is the next verse that's very important. But did not prevail, nor was place found for them in, in heaven. Right? Now, the devil is strong. I'm going to see later on the descriptions of the devil. But uh, Archangel Michael and the angels of God are stronger. If there is a war, if we fight it ourselves, guess what? The big dragon, the serpent, and uh, as next verse describe him, the old, you know, the great dragon, the old serpent, the devil, Satan, the deceiver, will definitely be able to conquer us. But if we let God ward the devil, as it says here, uh, that the devil and his, you know, angels did not prevail. It's only God and his people are going to prevail. If we are going through any spiritual war, let's let the Lord fight it for us so he can win and we sit on the side and get the glory or get the honor for us you know, beating the devil but in reality God is the one who's going to beat the devil because only God and his angels are the ones who are capable of defeating the devil and that's why a lot of times in our spiritual life we struggle and do not succeed because we take it upon ourselves to struggle and correct our path and become righteous by our own virtues not by letting God and his angels defeat the devil. Okay? And again, as you can see here, the wars between the angels and the devil. Okay? If God wars with the devil, he's only going to you know, fight with him once and that's going to be the last punch, as I said. He's gonna, it's going to be the last days. Okay? Nor was place found for them in heaven anymore. Again, the devil is going to try to convince us that he has the keys to heaven. He has the keys for joy. He has the keys for spirituality. He has the keys for whatever. You go outside in the world and you're going to find a million ways trying to attract us to follow them in order to be, you know, uh, reach with the... What, whatever evolutionary path they have set for our spiritual life, become like God and, you know, be, be one with the, you know, with the big energy and, you know, all these uh, Eastern cultures 
platform and so on. But he does not have a place in heaven. No matter what he claims, he's not there. So he can claim whatever he wants. And outside people can claim whatever they want to know about God and their version and their version of heavens, but it's really not there. Because if you don't live somewhere, can you describe, for example, what is life in Zimbabwe like? I don't think so. None of us have been there. So we can't describe what it is. So if the devil doesn't live in heaven anymore, he cannot describe what heaven is like. Okay. Uh, anyway. And the great dragon was cast out. The old serpent called devil and Satan, who deceived the whole world, he was cast out into the earth and his angels were cast out with him. So let's see the descriptions of the devil here. First, the great dragon which means that he's a very powerful enemy. The dragon is, you know, presents for a great serpent. Um, to use, you know, some people say it's mythical. Some people say they were, you know, actually an old creature uh, that is very ferocious and it was eliminated. Basically, people destroy it one by, by one. But anyway, it's the, uh, here it represents that it's very powerful and very strong uh, old and they've been fighting humans for the last 5,000 years so if you think you're smart he's smarter he's been around the block a lot more times than you and I have been so he knows all the tricks except this famous uh, joke they say that this you know monk went to the desert and you know a new monk went to the desert and then you know during the Lent Great Lent he, he wanted to eat an egg so he stole an egg, took it to his, you know, cell, and lit a little candle, and he cooked the candle on the, I'm sorry, cooked the egg on the candle. So his father, you know, goes in, tell him, what are you doing? This is land where, you, you know, what are you trying to do, and so on. He told him, you know, the devil tempted me. So that allowed the devil appears. He said, this is the first time I learned this trick, so <laughs> this is new to me. Anyway, so old... Uh, serpent serpents you know it stands for cunning and deceiving so he's tricky and he always appears to be nice and smooth on the outside sin is always nice and smooth and easy on from the outside so that's uh, the serpent called devil devil is accuser right and uh, Satan is opponent and deceiver changes the truth. So, what is the accuser? What does you know? What does he accuses people of? Two different words. Let's go back to the origin. Again, uh, the devil, as you can see here, uh, false accuser. If you look at the meaning, the Greek meaning, false accuser, and Satan. Okay. Uh, the accuser and Satan here it's opponent in some other translation that says the opponent right. so there are two different characteristics of the devil it all stands for his evenness but, uh, different. so what does he accuses or how do we know what is the meaning of accuser The easiest thing he does, I'm going to find this uh, in the next verse. And I heard a great voice saying in heaven, Now has come the salvation and power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ. For the accuser of our brothers is cast down, who accused them before God day and night. First, where, where is the first time we hear about the accuser? Uh, that he's actually in, you know, in front of God accusing people. Old Testament, Job. Yes. In Job, we see that the, the devil going in front of God and accusing, you know, Job that he only loves God because of the wealth and mercy and great compassion that God gives, you know, to Job. So God tells him, okay, take the wealth away from him. 
and you know, Job still loves God. She still accuses him. You know, if you hurt him, if he's sick or whatever, he only loves you because of his health. And if he hurts you or whatever, he's gonna uh, denounce you and uh, blaspheme you and so on. So that's one aspect of his accusation. Another aspect, you know, Mark and I argue about something. He comes here in my, in my ear, accuses Mark of being so and so and so and so and goes to Mark and accuses me of being so and so and so and so so we end up getting angry getting upset over something that neither of us really meant what the other person thinking that we're being accused of and that very famous try to think about any argument or any situation that you get into and get you know hot about sometimes we get angry about nothing we think that the other person is thinking this way and maybe the other person has no idea who we are or what are we talking about or you know any situation but just the devil accuses him in in our mind so we become angry and agitated and start a war and start a fight another thing he accuses he you know he accuses God that he's not merciful accuses God that he does not love us like what he did with Adam and Eve did really God tell you did he really, you know, he, you know, he accused him that, you know, he doesn't love them, he doesn't want them to be equal to him, you know, he wants to keep them away from knowing, you know, things that he himself only knows, and he always accuses God. If you really God's child, if God really loves you, would he let you suffer through this? Would he let you go through these problems? Would he let you allow you, you know, to suffer these things? No, no, no. This is not the merciful God. Either, you know, he's not really a true loving God or you are not really his, you know, true child. So he accuses us and at the same time he accuses God with us and then he accuses us for God. Or as soon as we fall into sin, look, look God, these are your children. We, you know, saved them, died for them on the cross. Look at them, how they're leaving you now and, they, you know, turning away. That's why, you know, uh, the fathers, you know, St. Augustine says, God who created without you cannot save you without you. Why? Because if God tries to get involved and save us even without our will, the devil is going to come and accuse tell him, why are you trying that? They don't want you. He goes and accuse him of not being fair, not giving him the right opportunity, not letting people choose what they want. And that's why the, the Bible here was you know, very clear about describing this particular aspect of the devil as an accuser to clarify that for us now uh, a great voice in heaven uh, saying and a great uh, great voice that all the heavenly are rejoicing because of the salvation that happened here uh, has come the salvation and power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ Despite the devil was cast down, if you tie these two verses together, 9 and 10, despite the devil and the dragon and all these scary descriptions that we said about the devil in verse 9, we find in verse 10 that, you know, the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ. Again, every time something scary shows up in the revelation, immediately afterwards something comforting shows up. So it tells us that despite that the devil was cast down on earth, God's power, God's authority, God's you know dominion is on his people and the devil will not affect them. And they overcame, and the secret now for overcoming the devil is in verse 11, and they overcame him by, because of the blood of the lamb and because of the word of their testimony and they did not love their soul until death. So, again, no salvation except by Jesus Christ and His crucifixion and Him saving us. That's the only path. But by the way, why didn't He say, and they overcame Him because of the blood of the Lamb, and that's it? Because some of our friends keep saying that, you know, it's only the blood of Christ that does everything and we're, we're doing nothing or no matter what we do is nothing it's only God's I'm sorry? 
Okay. We're saying that, you know, why not... <laughs> this constant argument, right? Why not say, and they overcame him because of the blood of the Lamb, period. Why does we... The, why did St. John in particular... And again, if you remember from chapter 1, St. John is being dictated what to write here. Why does he have to write, and because of the word of their testimony? If again, as a salvation is for everyone, which is true, if everyone who accepts and he lives according to the salvation granted to us, right, then there was no need for us, there was no need to say that because of the word of their testimony. We have a role to play as well. We have to declare that we have accepted the salvation and we have to live according to our acceptance of the salvation that God has offered us. So, because of the word of their testimony, this is our role. We live our life according to the testimony for Jesus, to the Lord Jesus Christ. Right? Not anything else. And of course, number one, we all agree, has to be through the blood of the Lamb. Other than that, there's no other venue. But, you know, God doesn't stop there. He wants us to do our job. And we go back to the first seven churches, and we describe in every church there was, I know your work, I know your, you know, first word they start with, I know your work. It doesn't start by, I know your faith, it starts by, I know your work. Uh, so here, we have a role to play, our testimony. And testimony is not just, you know, going on uh, on the internet and, and bashing other people, or, you know, standing on the rooftops and, you know, preaching people or standing on soap boxes, you know, in Times Square or, you know, uh, going to the Statue of Liberty and uh, telling people, you know, preaching them, but testimony by our lives, our virtues, our behavior, our attitude. And they did not love their soul until death. Again, and we said this is not only physical martyrdom but also spiritual martyrdom and we quoted Saint uh, Paul multiple times that we offer our lives as uh, living sacrifices Roman 12.1 I beseech you therefore brothers by the mercies of God to present your bodies a living sacrifice holy pleasing to God which is your reasonable service Now, the continuation for that is, Therefore, rejoice, O heavens, and those tabernacling in them. I like this translation because it gives strong meaning for the word tabernacle of the Old Testament. If you look at it, you know, in other translations, you know, it dwells in them, you know, and those dwell in them. Uh, yeah, that's the modern King James. Uh, here says, you know, who dwell in them, in the Old Testament. So the tabernacle, it also reminds us that the tabernacle was where God dwelt with his people. That's what we call the tabernacle, it's because where God dwelt with his people. And that's what the church is today, where God dwells with his people. Okay. Rejoice, O heavens, and those tabernacling in them. Woe to the inhabitants of the earth and in the sea. Again, if we go back to the beginning of the chapter, we said a sign in heaven, a woman, right? And we said that this is a church. So either choose yourself to be part of the church or part of the earth and the sea and be warned to the inhabitants of the earth and the sea. Right? For the devil came down to you having great wrath, knowing that he has but a little time. How much time? We don't know. It's been 2,000 years so far. Yeah. Again, the the concept of time, as you can see from this particular chapter, concept of time in Revelation is really flexible. Things can be happening in a day, in a year, in three and a half years, or in thousands of years. This is the whole story of from beginning when God created the angels and the fall of Lucifer until the end. 
all in one chapter and all talks as if it's one event happening, what's one sign being described in entirety. So the concept of time here is a little bit, uh, we still have to get used to it and hopefully understand it one of these days. Um, and when the dragon saw that he was cast to the earth, he persecuted the woman who bore the man-child. Again, any Christian will have to be persecuted. It's, it's a promise from Christ. It did not give, it did not come to, you know, the thief, but fire, right? Uh, that's going to be a permanent battle it's going to go all the way to the end verse 14 and two wings of a great eagle were given to the woman so that she might fly into the wilderness into her place where she is nourished for a time and times and a half time from the serpent's face now we need to understand what this great eagle is to go back to Exodus 19.3 And Moses went up to God and Jehovah called to him out of the mountain saying You shall say to the house of Jacob and tell the sons of Israel You have seen what I did to the Egyptians and I bore you on eagles wings and brought you to myself. Okay. I brought you on eagle wings. And who 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 brought the you know Israelites out of Egypt? That's God Himself, right? So He is the great eagle. Or the wings He gives are the the strength and the faith in Him. Let's look in Deuteronomy. For Jehovah's portion is his people, Jacob is the lot of his inheritance. He found him in the desert land and in the deserted howling wilderness. He led him about, he cared for him, he kept him as the pupil of his eye. And this is one of the very most famous uh, verses. As an angel stirs up, as an eagle stirs up her nest, flutters over her young, spreads over her wings, takes them and bears them on her wing. Jahwe alone led him and there was no strong God with him. So who is the great eagle based on these two portions that we read? That's the Lord Himself, right? Now, if we go to Isaiah, again, one of the very powerful uh, verses, Isaiah 40, 31. But those who wait on Jehovah shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Okay. So, God described himself as a great, you know, eagle. Why? Because the eagle, first of all, we said from the beginning that the spiritualities are represented by an eagle. And that's why when we looked at the four heavenly creatures. We said that the, you know, the face of an eagle represents the spirituality or the divinity, or I'm sorry, the divinity of Christ. Right? And the eagle flies very, very high, and he can drop down immediately, picks up his, uh, you know, prey, and goes back up. Very powerful, can carry a heavy load all the way up. The way it trains, it's, you know. Young chicks is very interesting. He carries them on his back, falls, drops, so the chicks, you know, flap their wings and try to fly and so on. And then if they, you know, they get tired or they fall, he comes back up and picks them up again. 
and he's always surrounding his, you know, his young ones, and nobody can dare, you know, to pick any of the eagle's children. Um, and that's how God does. He, he carries us on his wings. He will let us go through some tribulation, but this is just to strengthen our wings and give us strength to be able to to fight the devil. And then if we tired, he comes back and he carries us again uh, on his shoulders. So, what are the two great wings? Uh, these can be, again, some people looked at this and they, they can say these are the two prophets. Some people said that this is uh, the Bible with the Old and New Testament. Or some people didn't give the number, you know, two wings any specific meaning, but they said this is basically the faith in God and the belief in Him and the strength God is going to give His children. Uh, so, even during the hardest time, even when the devil was cast down and he is ready to get revenge and war with you know, the church and his children, and he knew that he has a little time, so he's going to go in and you know, does his best to destroy as many as possible. God gives us the strength that we all need and the ability to flee away from the devil. Uh, if you take a balloon and go up, you may hear the noises and whatever, but you will feel yourself distant from everybody else. The sounds may come to you, but uh, it's very easy to listen, to hear everything from from top, but nobody will hear you from, from the top. At the same time, you feel that you're totally isolated. You can do whatever, say whatever, but people will not hear you. Uh, we're supposed to be above, easily, you know, above the world flying up there at the same time uh, the eagle eats its own prey does not eat usually does not eat dead animals so uh, that's one uh, one of the reasons why God described himself as an eagle and the wings of a great eagle so God's power is given to the woman so that she might fly into the wilderness into her place where she is nourished for a time and times and a half time from the serpent's face. Again, this can be a literal meaning where we're going to go during the time of Antichrist somewhere in the wilderness. We don't know where or, or, or what or how. Or spiritually, not living in the world and living in the wilderness of the world, uh, I think makes more appropriate sense because that's going to happen throughout the world. And no matter what happens, because at the end times, when we're going to talk about the Antichrist, that only people who have the the seal of the Antichrist are the only one who are going to be able to trade and buy and sell and so on. God is selling us before, it, you know, he, he tells us about this prophecy. It's going to come later on. He's telling us that he will nourish the church for as long as it's needed. So we should not be worried about this, uh, whatever trouble they have, or the trouble is going to come later on. And the serpents cast out of his mouth water like a flood after the woman, so that he might cause her to be carried away by the river. These are the heresies that the devil is going to, you know, try to make it sound like the Holy Spirit, and so he may carry away the woman from where she is into uh, different places and divert the direction of the church. So heresies are going to be coming in and out, always trying to divert us from the true faith and from what God wants us to be in. And the earth helped the woman, and the earth opened his, its mouth and swallowed up the river which the dragon cast out of his mouth. The only thing I was able to find on this particular verse is that these, you know, what happened is that natural things can happen at the time of the Antichrist can, you know, block some of his attacks to the church. Or even in natural ways, the when the enemies of the church are fighting, sometimes they end up fighting together and leave the church alone. Uh, and war together and not war, you know, attack the church. Uh, if you remember that a lot of times uh, in Egypt in the 80s when the fanatics were fighting with the government, when there's love between 
they're fighting the use of the churches. The fighting is intense between the government and the, the fanatics. They had no time to worry about the church, and you know they fought with each other. So it can be the same thing at the end times. Is that the natural way uh, of the world that end up be fighting together instead of fighting with the church? It can be diseases, can be natural disasters that happened that distract them away from the church and from attacking the church into uh, and deviate the direction of their uh, hate, basically. And so God will provide help to the church in different ways. And the dragon was enraged over the woman and he went to make war with the rest of her seed who keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. As long as you keeping the commandment of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ, again, you're guaranteed to be warred against. And if you're not warred against, if you're not in, you know, tribulations, you got to examine yourself a little bit. Okay, so this is chapter 12. And as we said, this is here the dragon that represents the devil himself. Next chapter, chapter 13, we're going to be talking about the Antichrist. And we're going to see later on in the number 666, you know, going to appear here. uh, The famous 666. So, God willing, we'll be talking about that next time and explaining, hopefully, if we can, what all these might mean. You know, might represent. Okay, any any questions on chapter twelve? Guys, very nice, quiet. Yeah.